0: I've known Andy and Anna for uh, some time, and it's been great to see them uh, follow the Lord's calling on their life toward ministry and to take this step of faith uh, towards Pittsburgh and to be about the gospel there. So if you want to talk with them about you learning more about their ministry and hearing how you might be able to support them, if the Lord puts that on your heart, you guys going to be around here after this service? Come right up here to talk with you. That would be great. So um, if you have your Bibles today, guys, you can open it up to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter five is where we're going to be today, and um, you know as we stated before early in the announcements, just want to reiterate that if you are new with us today for the first time, like it's an honor to have first time you know people with us every single Sunday. Sunday, and uh, we're honored to have you. Um, we exist as a church for really two main things: to know Christ and to make him known in the world. That's why we're here as a church. And so if if you're new with us today and you do know Christ as your personal savior, um, you know, we hope that you find uh, uh, camaraderie in this church where you, if you're, if you're about making him known in the world, like we welcome partnership with you. We want to work with you to make Christ known. And if you don't know Christ personally, I hope that you leave here today knowing how you can know Christ personally and that you can be saved by him. So no matter who you are, uh, we are glad that you're here today. Now. Before we get going, I've got this little uh, activity that I want us to do together, all right? So I need you guys to engage. This is a little wake-up activity. We'll do this together. I'm going to put a few pictures up on the screen, and I want you to see if you can find the thing that is hiding in the picture, okay? So I'm going to put the first picture on the screen. I'm going to count down from five, and then you tell me if you can see it. Five, four, three, two, one. What does anybody see? A lizard, okay? You know what that's actually called? True name of this thing. It's called the satanic leaf-tailed gecko. All right? Now, that one wasn't super hard to see on the screen, but I just wanted to use it because it has the word satanic in the name, and I figured it would wake everybody up and get your attention. So here we go. Um, Here's the second one. Count down from five, then you tell me if you can see it. Five, four, three, two, one. Anybody see anything? A mouse, he says. Okay, now that thing is called an American pika. All right? Uh, it's called an American pika. It kind of looks like a mix between a mouse and a rabbit. So I don't know what it is, but it's cute. So there we go. Um, here's the third one. Let's see if we can put this up here. What's hiding? Five, four, three, two, one. Anybody see anything? Is that a deer, someone said. Now here's the thing. I'm a colorblind guy, and I can't see anything on that picture. I just want you to know. But my wife promises me that there's a deer in the background, all right? So uh, apparently there's a deer back there. And if you can't see it, you're probably colorblind like me. So there we go. Um, So here's the thing. Um, Each of these animals uh, blends in with its environment in order to protect itself. We we know of other animals that do this, right? Like uh, chameleons. We know about the... um, uh, the mimic octopus and other animals that do this. They all try to blend in and look like something that they're not in order to stay alive. Okay, Here's the thing. With our scripture passage for today, we're going to look at a couple that kind of did the opposite. They're, they're trying to blend in. They're trying to look like something that they're not and they didn 't stay alive; they end up dying, right, so this is where our text is going today. So if you are new with us, you need to know we 're studying straight through the book of Acts. Um, this is our week where we 're going to be in uh, acts chapter five that 's our twelfth study in the book of Acts and so you know one of my favorite ways to preach, really my favorite way to preach is to preach straight through the books of the bible it 's normally the way that we preach here. Not, not every week do we preach straight through a book of the Bible. sometimes we do small series. But normally this is the way we preach, and today we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 5. But before we do, I just want to... Kind of catch us up on what we've covered in the first four chapters. Chapter one was about the resurrected Christ appearing to his disciples, telling them to go back into Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came on them, they would receive power from the Holy Spirit to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And as we study through the book of Acts, you're going to see that that serves as a bit of an outline for the 28 chapters in the book of Acts. The first chunk of chapters are about their witness in Jerusalem. uh, There's several chapters about their witness in uh, Judea and Samaria. And then um, a lot of chapters given to the way the gospel went out to the ends of the earth. All right. So the Holy Spirit was promised to them in chapter one. Chapter two The promised Holy Spirit shows up on the day of Pentecost. He fills the believers. They are filled with great power. They witness in his name and many people are saved in Jerusalem. Chapter three, um, a man, uh, one of the apostles, Peter, uh, heals a man who was lame from birth and uh, heals him it, right outside of the, the temple. And this draws a great crowd. They see this miracle and uh, the crowd is kind of causing an uproar in the city. And so we get to chapter four and the religious leaders of the day come and they say, hey, this is causing too much commotion. Things are getting unsettled here. Peter and John, you need to be quiet. You need to stop preaching in Jesus' name. Well, Peter and John say, you know, we're not going to quit. We're going to keep preaching in Jesus' name. And what happens is all these people uh, come to faith in Christ. Now, what I want you to keep in mind is a bit of a timeline. When From the time we started in Acts chapter 1 until where we are now in Acts chapter 5, really that's all, all that stuff has occurred over about a three-month period. So in those three months, the church grew from like 150 people in Acts 1, to at least, you know, 5,000 plus by the time we get into Acts chapter 5. So that's a rapid amount of church growth. And that's going on in the city of Jerusalem, right? That's the same city where they put Jesus to death, right? So what is happening? What has occurred that causes so much rapid church growth, all these conversions in the very same city where they crucified Jesus Christ? You know what happened? Jesus rose from the dead, right? And he sent his Holy Spirit to fill those who believed in him. And now they're out doing ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on. So last week we left off at the end of Acts chapter 4. There was this amazing passage with the description of generosity and um, the fellowship in the body of Christ, you know, as they... Uh, sold their goods and shared with each other as needs. It's like last week I kept thinking to myself as Jeff was preaching, uh, and this is like the first Christian garage sales that were going on. there was like they were selling, est- estate sales were going down, people were giving stuff. By the way, uh, Jeff Vanskoy was in the first service, but man, didn't he do a great job last week? Man, I was just so blessed, so grateful for the way God keeps raising up uh, men in our church who are passionate about God's word, faithful to God's word, and I think the thing that stood out to me was just how much Jeff loves this church, and I'm so grateful for him, and um, praise the Lord for him. So uh, th- well, here we are today picking up in Acts chapter 5. Admittedly, guys, this is, this is a passage where the tone changes. So far... All of our chapters have shown addition to the church. Chapter 2, we saw addition. 2,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost. Chapter 2 says that daily the Lord was adding to their number the the folks who were being saved. We get into chapter 3. Up to 5,000 people were now saved. And that only counts the men, right? So there's been all this addition to the church so far. But in our text today... We're actually going to see the first subtractions from the church, okay? So we're going to see how this works. As Today we're going to work our way through verses 1 through 11 in chapter 5. We're going to kind of make our way quickly through those verses, and I want to close really by spending a little more time on the application and the takeaways, because I think this passage is very timely for where we are as a church right now, and I trust that as we go through this, the Lord will open your heart, and if you... Um, will open your heart to him. I believe he will give you ears to hear what he has to say to the church today, all right? So let's look at chapter five, starting in verse one and two. The scripture says, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. I just wanna stop right there and draw your attention to the very first word of verse one. The word is the, is the word but, and any time we see the word but, we need to understand that there's a connection to what came before, and that there the connection there is a it's a compare and contrast connection. So there's this, but there's that, right? That's what we mean. There, this happened, but that happened. There's this guy, but then there's that guy. So the word but shows us that there's an intentional contrast being made here, and so last week, We ended chapter 4 learning about a man um, named Barnabas. Actually, uh, the end of chapter 4 says that his name was Joseph of Cyprus, but the disciples called him Barnabas, and his name means what? Son of encouragement. I think it's really noteworthy that he's mentioned here in the early chapters of the book of Acts because as we work our way through the rest of the chapters of the book of Acts, Barnabas is going to become a very important um, character in the unfolding narrative in the book of Acts. And so we saw that this man, Barnabas, sold a field and uh, gave the money to the church to be used for the needy. So here we have this son of encouragement. And the way that he's encouraging people is through giving his money to those who are in need. I think some of us are like, I'd like a Barnabas. Like, he can encourage, anybody can encourage me by giving some money. That'd be great. right? So chapter 4 ends by presenting Barnabas and his generosity. But chapter 5 starts by contrasting Barnabas with a man named Ananias. So we meet Ananias in verse 1. He and his wife sell a piece of property. Verse 2 says, And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, pretty straightforward. Ananias makes this plan to sell his property, just like Barnabas. Verse 2 says, He wanted to keep some of the proceeds for himself, very unlike Barnabas. And then it says that Ananias' wife, Sapphira, knew about all this. So here's what I want to say. Um, Most of us who grew up in church probably know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. We we know what's coming. But some of you may not have really known what's coming. So, So let me tell you, in just a moment, we're going to see that Ananias and Sapphira have done something really wrong here. And I want to be very clear about a few things up front because if you're new to the scriptures, I don't want you to be confused. Okay, so I want to make it clear. First of all, it certainly wasn't wrong for them to sell their property and decide to give the proceeds to the church. Any of you can do that at any time. Like that would be welcomed. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Okay. It it wasn't even wrong for them to sell their property and, you know, only give a portion of the proceeds to the church. Nothing wrong with that. What we're going to see is that the problem is much deeper. That the husband and the wife, they did those things in a sinful way. There was a plot. There was a scheme. There was deception going on there. And so you kind of have to, once you know the end of the story, you can kind of imagine what must have occurred at the beginning. Ananias and Sapphira thinking, planning something out there. They saw Barnabas's generosity and he gave to the church and the church was greatly encouraged. And, you know, there was all this going, you know, selling and giving of goods and, you know, all this was going on in the early chapters of Acts. And so you can imagine Ananias coming and saying, uh, uh honey, uh, I think we should sell some of our acreage and, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to take a portion of that money and we're going to give it to the apostles. So we can kind of You'd be part of what's going on in the church. But, but we don't want to look like we're stingy and greedy. So, um, you know, we'll sell it and give. But, but when we turn it in, we're, we're just going to say this is all of the money we made. Okay? Like, can we, we, can we do that together? We'll keep some of it for ourselves. But, but maybe we can get recognized like Barnabas if we just say we gave it all. And so Sapphira agrees. She's in on the plot. She says, okay, you know, let's do this. So the next few verses, we're going to see that some sort, of, some sort of deceptive plotting like that had to have occurred. So they sell their property, Ananias does, he brings the money, gives it to Peter, verse 3. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, Peter says, Ananias, Satan filled your heart to lie. Isn't that part of who Satan has always been? The scripture says that he is a liar and a deceiver from the beginning. He's the father of lies, John 8, says. All the way back in the book of Genesis, what do we have? Satan coming to a husband and wife, deceiving them, causing them to sin, calling them to sin against God and tempting them to do so. So the adversary, Satan, fills Ananias' heart to lie And by the way, that word lie in the original Greek language of scripture, it's the word pseudomai. Uh, It's where we get our English word what? Pseudonym. So what's a pseudonym? We know authors and writers sometimes take a a pseudonym, a pen name, something where they they don't want to reveal their true identity, so they they take a a different name. Um, If you're a little more blue collar, you know, we do this with uh, truckers and CBs, right? They've got a handle. And uh, Smokey and the Bandit, those of you guys who are over the age of 40, remember those good old days? Those of you who are under 40 have no idea what I'm talking about. That's cool. Those of you who are under 40, here's, here's what you understand. You understand social media handles, right, where you've got a Twitter identity. And the, the way it works in our culture, we kind of pick a social media name and we roll with that because it hides our true identity so we can pick a pseudonym, right? Well, Ananias in our text, he tells a lie, a, a pseudomai. He wants to hide his true identity. He wants to hide who he really is, greedy. Uh, worldly-minded, you know, maybe a little jealous of Barnabas. So he, he wants to appear to be in the group of givers. He wants to appear to be in the group that's in fellowship of the church, generous and sacrificial. He wants to appear to be like Barnabas. So in his desire to still live within his selfish ways, but also to look good in the eyes of men, what does he do? He lies. He plots a lie. He plots a scheme. Have you guys ever stopped to think about why people lie? Like all of us in this room, if I said, hey, have you ever told a lie? All of us would raise our hand, yeah. Why do we do that? You know, at the bottom of a lie is the desire to have someone else approve of us. We lie because we can't stand the thought that if we keep it real, we may no longer have this person's approval. They won't like the real us they'll reject the real us so we decide to be dishonest about who we are and what we do and what do we do we present a false self a false identity a a pseudonym if you will and here ananias lied but notice that his lie according to verse three wasn't a lie mainly to peter it wasn't mainly a lie to a man it was a lie to the holy spirit one thing if you lie before man, it's another thing to realize you're lying before God. That's a big deal. Peter says this after Ananias lied to him. He says in verse 4, While it, talking about the property, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So what's going on here? Peter is saying, Ananias, this land, like, before you sold it, it was yours. You could do what you want with it. Like, Nobody forced you to sell it. And he's saying, also Ananias, even after you sold this land and you had the proceeds, the proceeds were at your disposal. You, you could do with them what you want. Nobody forced you to come and give a penny of it to the church. So what's going on here and you're giving? This is your decision. This is a, a, th- a choice that you have made. You're intentionally doing something here. And then he goes on to say this in verse four. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You contrived this deed. To contrive something means to determine to make it happen. You're, you're making a systematic plan to bring something about. And so we we start to see Ananias and Sapphira, they made a plan here. This wasn't like a... Uh, this wasn't like a mistake they made in, in, you know, the pressure of the moment or just kind of uh, something that just kind of happened and they hadn't really thought it through, you know, they made a mistake, but no, this, this was a plot, right? This was, a, and so Peter says, you have, you know, you have not lied to man, but to God. In other words, he's saying, Ananias, God knows your heart and church family, everybody in this room, myself included, guys, let's not forget God always knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. We can lie to men, but we cannot lie to God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, God says, I am the one who searches the minds and the hearts of men. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10, the scripture says that the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, The scripture tells us who know it. Scripture says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind and give every man according to the deeds that he has done. Mark chapter seven says that out of the hearts of man come all sorts of wickedness that defile us, right? This comes from our hearts. So just a little side sermon, a little side note. Hey, as much as the culture tells us to just follow our hearts, can we decide to reject that lie? Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Don't follow your heart's desire. Follow God's desires clearly laid out in his word. Our hearts will deceive us. The Lord knows what's in our hearts. We cannot lie to him. Ananias could not lie to him. So Peter finished speaking to Ananias, and and here's what happens next. Verse 5. So when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. That's a sobering couple verses, isn't it? He lied, he died. He lied to the Holy Spirit, plotted, schemed, intentionally tried to make himself look more godly than he was he wanted to be lifted high before men he fell down dead before god what does proverbs chapter 2 verse 23 say 29 verse 23 say it says that uh, a man's pride will bring him low when i was a little kid my mom and dad always taught me proverbs 16 verse 19 pride goes before destruction and a, whole, a haughty spirit comes before a fall he fell down dead Verse seven. After about an interval of three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. All right, so here comes Sapphira. She and her husband made this plan. He's going to go in first and say, hey, here's our generosity, here's our money, and blah, blah, blah. She comes in later and, you know, she doesn't know what's occurred. These guys just took her husband out of the Meeting place where they were and buried him somewhere. She doesn't know; she's just going along with the plan. And Peter said to her, verse eight, "Tell me whether you sold the land for so much." So Peter asks her a question. You know what's happening right here when Peter asked us this? When Peter asked her this question, here's what's happening: God is being gracious to Sapphira. He is giving her an opportunity to be honest. He is giving her. A moment to choose to do what is right. Just because Ananias received this punishment of of death, it doesn't mean that she automatically needs to receive the punishment that he did because she has an opportunity to choose to do what is right. And Peter asks her, did you sell it for so much? And she says what? Yes, for so much. So she makes her choice and she goes along with the sinful plot of her husband. She goes along with the scheme. She didn't have to follow it, but she did. She made her own decision. And verse 9 says this. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. So Peter says how could you guys do this? Like you're part of the body of Christ. You're, you claim to be part of the church. You're here. You, you know, Why would you make this plot and scheme as if the Lord doesn't really know your hearts? right? We, what did we read at the end of chapter 4? That the church was in unity, one mind, fellowship. And yet now we have these two people in one mind, not in Christian fellowship, but they're in one mind to try to deceive the church. right? And so in doing so, they've, they've tested the spirit of the Lord. Here's, here's what I want you to see. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not about how much they gave or how much they didn't give, right? It's, it's not really about amounts. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that they wanted to look godly on the outside. They wanted to act as if they could get away with something that they would think like the Lord will just let it slide, That's testing God. Church family, we ought not test God like this. The scripture makes it very clear. 1 Corinthians 10, 9, do not test the Lord. You know who's the one who tested the Lord Jesus? Satan tempted Jesus. Tested him in the desert. That's the work of the adversary, the wicked one. See, you you can't put on this air of godliness and just think you're gonna get away with it and fool God, because why? Because the Lord knows our hearts. And he knew Sapphira's heart. And verse 10 tells the result. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. So just like her husband, she wanted to lift herself up, God brought her low. And the young men came in, pulled her body out and buried her. So how does Verse 11, describe what happened to the church. Here's what it says. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who had heard of these things. I bet it did. <laughs> you know, like, like, uh, we're reading about this right now, like 2,000 years later, and we're reading it in a book. But can you imagine if you're like watching it happen? Great fear came upon them. Leads right into the first of a few important takeaways for us. And again, I just want to spend a little extra time on these application points. But here's the first one, guys. Let this descriptive passage drive us to a proper fear. Let this descriptive passage drive us to have a proper fear. It's so popular in our culture and even in our Christian subculture right now to say that you know, there's, um, that fear is something that you know, should always be put away. There's no room for fear. And there is a, certainly a type of sinful, ungodly fear that does need to be put out of our lives. But the scripture also talks about that there is a certain proper type of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the scripture says. There's a proper type of fear that falls on man when they see the holiness and the righteousness of God. So we must read the book of Acts, as I've said before, um, with a prescriptive-descriptive lens. And if you haven't been here for a few weeks, you may not remember. But remember, some texts in the Bible are prescriptive, meaning they tell us what should happen. Other texts are descriptive. They tell us what did happen. And this is a descriptive text. People lied before God, boom, they're dead, right? Their bodies are dragged out of the church meeting. So is this passage telling us that anytime we're greedy or lie or we test God or we exaggerate our generosity in some sort of church setting, should we expect that we're just going to fall dead on the spot right there? Is that the way it's always going to work when we have greed and all that kind of stuff in our hearts? No. No, it's not. In fact, we're going to read in Acts chapter 8 about a a man who had a desire for money and he wanted to you know, really have power and he um, wanted to get in good with the church so that he could get money and power. And he didn't die like this, so keep that in mind. But is this passage teaching us that sin and deception and greed and testing God like this is it telling us that it can result in unexpected, dramatic death like this? And the answer to that is yes. It certainly can happen. It doesn't always happen, but it can. And it's not just this passage that shows it. As you read through the rest of the New Testament, you read about things like 1 Corinthians uh, 10, um, where it's talking about people who've taken the Lord's Supper. And they've done so in an unworthy manner. And Paul says, some of you have taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And that's why some of you have gotten sick and even some of you have died. That's why we guard the table when we take the Lord's Supper here. And we ask people, when you come and take the Lord's Supper, check your hearts. There's a sober-minded fear that should be there. It's why when we read in 1 Corinthians 5 that there was a man who was living in terrible unrepentant sin and the church calls him to repent and he won't repent and the apostle paul gives them the instruction he says he says hand this man over to satan so that his flesh may be destroyed it's why we read things like 1 john chapter 5 verse 16 that says there are some sins that lead to death so We need to be sober-minded with a proper fear. Like our sin is serious. It doesn't always result in some dramatic, unexpected death like this. But that can happen sometimes. So what's the principle? The principle for us out of this is, hey, don't try to tempt or test the Lord your God. We ought not do that. We ought not do that by trying to make ourselves look more godly than we are. We have a strong warning against plotting and scheming and exaggerating to try to make ourselves look spiritual and godly in front of people. Passages like this remind us that sin can sometimes lead to our physical death. In fact, the scriptures actually make it clear that sin always leads to death. What does Romans 6 say? Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is what? Death. So whether our death happens in a dramatic, unexpected fashion as a result of a particular sin, or whether it's the general effects of our sin that lead us to death, sin always leads to death, but here's the good news. Sin leads to death, but Jesus leads to life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. The good news of the gospel is that when we repent of our sin and we're honest about our sin and we stop trying to hide our sin before the Lord and and try to stop acting like, hey, we can just get away with it. Once we get honest about that and we repent and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then he gives us the gift of eternal life. And though we die, the scripture says, yet shall we live. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So sin always leads to death, but praise God, Jesus always leads to life, which leads us into the second important takeaway for us today. Here's the second thing. Church family, remember who God is and start keeping it real before him. Right? Remember who God is and keep it real before him. Because we, think about who God is. On the one hand, God is pure and righteous and holy in every way. And on the other hand, at the same time, the Lord is gracious and loving and forgiving in every way. On one hand, he's so holy that sin can't exist in his presence. And on the other hand, he's so merciful and gracious that for those of us who trust in Jesus, it's the blood of Jesus that will cleanse us from all of our sin. So when you remember these two simultaneous characteristics of who God is, then you know what that does? That frees you to take off your mask, to stop trying to be more righteous and look more righteous than you really are. It frees you to stop trying to blend in and fake God out because he's so holy and powerful, you can never fake him out. You can't do it, but he's also so loving and gracious, you never need to, right? Why do we lie? Why do we try to deceive people? Because we are desperate in our hearts for man's approval. Here's the good news. When you believe in Jesus Christ and his righteousness is applied to you, you already have God's approval. So you don't have to try to lie before the Lord. He sets his favor on you because he set his favor on Christ. And Christ is in you and Christ's blood covers all your sins. It frees you. So church family, here's the truth. This is the, this is the honest truth for all of us. We are so sinful. We can't even recognize how sinful we are. Like We have things we're embarrassed about. We realize the depth of our sin. And we don't even understand it because we're not all knowing and perfect and righteous and holy in the way that God is. We don't even understand the depths of our sin. But God does. And he has chosen to love us anyways. We are all more sinful than we would care to admit. And yet, at the same time, we are all more loved than we can even imagine. And that's the good news of the gospel. So remember who God is and keep it real before him. And for this last application, I just want to talk very specifically pastorally with our church right now. Third takeaway. In this season of life for our church consider whether you're living in the freedom of Barnabas or in the slavery of Ananias. In this season of life in our church, consider whether you're living in the freedom of Barnabas or the slavery of Ananias. Think about these two men. Barnabas could easily give up the things of the world because he was free from them. Money, land, possessions, he could give them up because he was free from them. Ananias wasn't. Barnabas wasn't concerned about looking more generous than he really was. Ananias was very concerned about that. Barnabas did not put God to the test. Ananias did. Barnabas could live in truth and honesty and authenticity. Ananias couldn't. Barnabas, you guys, he's the example of living in freedom. Ananias isn't. Ananias lived in slavery, slave to his sin, slave to the fear of man, slave to the the sin that creeps up in our hearts when we stop believing the truth about God. But Barnabas was free in Christ. Now, again, how does this tie into our life as a church? Here's how it ties in. Because right now, guys, we are in a time in our church where there's a campaign going on, and we're asking the church to be generous, and we're talking more frequently about money and giving and things like that. We just went through some times of public giving and public commitment, right? Just very similar to what was going on in Acts chapter 4, these public displays of generosity. And to be frank with you, from time to time in our church's future, we might keep doing things like that from time to time. But perhaps when that happens, here's what might be going on in some of our hearts. There can be this internal temptation to kind of join in with the crowd and not want to look stingy, so I'll just turn something in or use words when I'm talking to people that just they you know what I mean? There can be this temp- this temptation in our hearts to try to make ourselves look more generous or whatever. And I just, I want to just say this out loud to everybody, especially during this season of life. Maybe you need to hear this. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But listen, you don't have to impress anyone here. You certainly don't have to impress God, right? He, Your commitments that you make, your giving, that's between you and the Lord. And here's the thing, like we said before, the Lord knows your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 18, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I want to just remind us here, God is not honored with us giving the perception of generosity, like Ananias And God is not pleased with lip service for him like Sapphira. He wants truth in the inward parts, Psalm 51 verse 6 says. So church family, let me remind you of this. God loves you. If you are one of his children, he loves you. You never, ever have to impress him because he knows everything you've ever done and he knows everything you're ever gonna do and he's set his love on you anyways. You never need to impress him. You certainly can't deceive him. He knows the best and the worst of who we are and he offers his love to us freely anyways. So just let that burden of trying to impress people, like just let that burden off your back. It doesn't belong there. So church family, as we move forward, let's recognize we don't need to live in the slavery of Ananias and in Christ. We can live in the freedom of Barnabas because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we stop right now and we just pause our hearts to consider your word and consider what your Holy Spirit is saying to us. Even as i 'm praying it right out loud right now, Lord, I pray that those in this room that know you would, in the stillness of their heart listen to what you 're saying, and so Lord, uh, we admit that we are people who can struggle with sin, whether the sin is greed and Selfishness and materialism, and not wanting to give up the temporary things of this world, or if the sin in our hearts is deception and trying to present a false identity, and caring too much about people's opinions, we are um, we are sinful people. And Lord, I thank you that you came to save sinners. And so Lord, um, we come to you in this moment thankful for Jesus, that he died in our place and rose again three days later and that you have sent your Holy Spirit to live within us so that we can be free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, let us live in the freedom that you provide. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.